we are starting a new series today called The Making of a Mighty Warrior. And I think it's so appropriate um, as this is our Remembrance Day weekend, and we think back of people who were mighty warriors, people who were brave, people who gave their lives for the freedom of others. I, my great-grandfather was a prisoner of war in the um, Anglo-Boer War in South Africa, and um, I used to sit at my grandmother's feet when she told us the stories of my great-grandfather, and he was on an island, St. Helena Island, where he was a prisoner of war, and he made her all kinds of little things from bone, like um, made her some knitting needles and things like that, and she still had that, and she would always sit with these things um, in her display cabinet and take them out and tell these stories to her grandchildren, and I would just sit with big ears and big eyes and listen to these stories of my ancestors that were mighty warriors. And something of that, I think, reflects and just echoes in our spirits deeply because I think deep inside of all of us, there is something that tells us, I want to be a brave person. I want to be a mighty warrior. I want to be someone with courage and boldness. If you think about the movies we watch, right? Very few of us, maybe some of you, and then I'm a little worried about you, but very few of us actually associate with the villains in movies, right? We associate with the heroes. We want to be like them. And we imagine how, how we would live that life and how we would protect our families. And we play video games of heroes. Some of you play video games of villains. I'm worried about you as well. But most of us play video games of heroes, right? That's who we want to be. We want to be people that are brave people who are mighty warriors. We do not want to be known as people who are cowards. And I think often... It's easy for us to think when you see a title like this, The Making of a Mighty Warrior, that we need to have courage, that we need to be brave, and that we need to be mighty warriors when we are facing actual war like that which is raging in Ukraine or in Israel. But that's not the only time in life when we need to be brave. That's not the only time in life when we need to have courage, when we need to be a mighty warrior. When we look at life, Paul speaks about this in Ephesians 6 where he says, listen, we are involved in a spiritual battle, in spiritual war every single minute of the day. He says our fight is not just against flesh and blood, like wars that physically rage. He says that's not our only fight. Our fight, he says, is against the devil's schemes, against powers of the dark world and spiritual forces. When we face challenges in life, when I have to raise my family, when I have to stand firm in my faith, it often calls for me to lead with courage, to lead with bravery, to be a mighty warrior. And I think most of us miss how often we actually need to be brave and mighty warriors in just everyday life. So that is why we are starting this series, The Making of a Mighty Warrior, but the question is probably how. And you don't have to go to boot camp physically in the next couple of weeks, but you will have to go to spiritual boot camp in the next couple of weeks. And the first question when you ask me likely, how do I become a mighty warrior? How do I become someone that's brave, someone that's filled with courage, someone that can face the challenges that life throws at me and really just head into them with courage? I want to say the first thing, our first topic in the series that we have to do is we have to overcome the enemy within. Before we even face anything on the outside, 
There is something that needs to happen inside of us in order to have the courage and the strength to face whatever life throws at us. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to read the story of a man named Gideon. So in the Old Testament, before Israel, after God saved his people out of Egypt from slavery, they arrived in the promised land, they defeated some of their enemies, but Israel didn't have a king. Why? Because God was their king. But what we read in the book of Judges is that they went through these periods where they would follow God and he would save them from their enemies and then they just turned their back on God whenever something went well and their enemies would rule over them again and they're like, oh, we're in trouble again, turn back to God, God would save them again. And it's like a cycle that keeps going. And because they didn't have a king, who leads the army? Who makes the decisions? So God would raise up people that he called judges, both men and women, who would act as a leader for the people of God temporarily to help them defeat their enemies. And Gideon was one of those men that lived about 1,200 years before Christ. And when you read the story, if you do know the Bible and you know the story, you will know that Gideon was a man who defeated an army of more than 100,000 men with only 300 men. And the math doesn't add up, but that's fine. It doesn't need to. We're going to talk about that and, and why um, that was even possible. But Gideon didn't start out as this brave, courageous, mighty warrior. In fact, we're going to read about this today. When God called him, he said, there's no way. Like, that's not who I am. So if you feel like that today and you're like, I, I don't know how to face stuff in life. I'm not really brave or a courageous or a mighty person. Um, let's talk about the four enemies that we have to overcome in order to become that. And if you've got your Bibles that you, you can open to Judges 6. We're going to spend some time in Judges 6 today and we're going to do four readings out of Judges 6. So if you open your Bibles there, don't close them. It will also be on the screen. Um, but we're going to read a whole bunch of pieces from Judges Six today. So Judges 6 from verse 1 to verse 10. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of, the Midian, of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted the crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them on their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. And Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all, hands of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in his land you live, but you have not listened to me. That's what we're going to read for the first part. 
I think the first challenge we all need to overcome if we want to step into the position that God wants us to live in as someone who doesn't have a spirit of fear, of timidity and fear, as the Bible says, but of power and love and self-control. If we want to become a mighty warrior, I think one of the first things that we have to overcome, the first things we need to do is we need to start living with repentance instead of regret. What do I mean with that? We see this cycle, as I said, in the life of Israel. They come to God. They say, hey, God, please help us. God saves them. Each time when they say, God, help us, he raises up a judge, and they are saved. But then they just fall back into it. They start worshiping idols again. They turn their back on God the moment stuff goes well. But this time, when they say, God, help us, which, by the way, took seven years. I'm like, for seven years they were oppressed. This time, God doesn't send them a judge immediately, but he sends them a prophet. It breaks the pattern that we found in the rest of the book of Judges. God sends them a prophet first. These guys are in an incredibly bad spot. The Midianites didn't try to politically control them. They just took control of their economy. They would take all of the crops, all of the livestock, they benefited from it, and they left nothing for the Israelites. The Israelites don't even live in the houses anymore. They live in caves in the mountains that was not really accessible. And in fact, Gideon, you'll see in a moment, when God appears to him, it is, he's at a place where he's hiding from the Midianites. So they are in a bad spot. They have nothing left to eat. They have nowhere to stay. And finally, out of desperation, they turn to God looking for help. I'm like, guys, how often do we do the same thing seven years before they say, God, like, I need help? We do a similar thing in life where we face crises in life, whether it is addiction, whether it is marriage problems, whether it's some form of financial crisis or a health issue that I have or emptiness that I'm experiencing, loneliness that I'm experiencing, anxiety that I'm living in. We tend to stay in that place and live as slaves to whatever is keeping us bondage for an unnecessary amount of time. Instead of going to God and saying, God, I need a way out. I need you to help me. But it's interesting that God this time sends them in the moment of desperation. And by the way, if you're in a place of desperation, it might not be so bad for you today because that's the moment they started looking for help outside of themselves, right? But God sends them a prophet. And I'm like, why a prophet and not a mighty warrior? Because I think what God knew was that the Israelites never really took to heart what happened with them. They were in the cycle where they turned to God out of desperation when they felt like something in their life was painful, when they felt the consequences of their sin, but they didn't actually know why they needed saving. They thought they just needed saving from an enemy, but they needed saving on a much deeper level. You see, the Israelites were regretful. They weren't repentant. They didn't have a heart of repentance. Their sorrow, their distress was skin deep, only crying out to God when they they experienced the consequence of their sin, when they experienced bad, painful things. And the moment that God saves them, they just turn their back on God again. The problem was that these guys didn't understand how their sin affected their relationship with God. 
they thought it only affected the outcome that they're experiencing. See, sin always has negative outcomes. That's why I always say God's laws are not protective. They are not restrictive. They're protective. They are there. God gives his laws to protect us from the negative consequences of sin, things that we do that breaks our relationships with God, our relationship with God and with other people. But these guys couldn't understand how it affected their relationship with God. They only saw how it affected their everyday life. See, repentance comes from a place where we realize that the actual problem is that sin, brokenness, creates distance between me and God. The consequences are just an add-on. That's not the main thing. Tim Keller wrote this so beautifully when he spoke about repentance. He says, and, and regret. He says, regret is all about me. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're in church today because something in your life is going wrong and you want God to help you. But the question that you have to ask, am I here because I'm regretful or because I have a heart of repentance? Regret is about me, how I am being hurt, how my life is ruined, how my heart is breaking. I'm like, God, please fix my stuff. I don't want to live through this pain. But repentance is all about God. How has my brokenness grieved God? How is his nature as creator and redeemer being trampled on? How is his repeated saving actions being trivialized and used manipulatively. That is the difference. The one I'm just thinking about myself, the other one I'm actually thinking about my relationship with my creator. And this is the first thing we have to do, the first enemy we have to overcome. God wants you to move past regret to true repentance. Regret is an enemy that's living within us that will keep us chained to our oppressors. We might find temporary relief, but it will keep us chained to, what, chained to whatever we believe our oppressors might be. Repentance sets us free. Repentance brings us into a place where God doesn't just help us out of the mess we are experiencing, but where our life starts to go head in a direction where I break the cycle, where I break the loop, where I don't remain a prisoner to whatever I was facing. So let me ask you this today. When you turn to God and you say, God, I need help, what are you truly sorry about? Are you sorry about the consequences of the sin or the sin itself? Are you sorry for the pain that you're experiencing or the pain that you're causing your God, your creator, your savior, your father that loves you. And we all make mistakes. I make mistakes quite often. And I'm open and honest about that. Guys, if, if you ever read about me in the news that I did something that I shouldn't have done, I don't want you to go like, oh, I can't believe Lou did that. You should be like, hey, he told me he's going to make a mistake at some point in his life. I make mistakes all the time. And we all do them. But when we are in a pattern like the Israelites where we do the same thing over and over, it could be because we're not really repent, we don't really have a heart of repentance, but because we're just regretful about the pain we're experiencing. Years ago, I was still uh, in youth when I heard when someone said, repentance means that I'm so sorry that I will never do it again. I'm so sorry for how my brokenness is affecting my relationship with God that I will never do it again. But as long as you live in regret, you will always place a limiter 
on your relationship with God. But we're going to continue reading from Judges 6 verse 11. So God sent them a prophet. The prophet speaks to them and says, listen, before, before you even get a mighty warrior, first sort out your hearts. And then Judges 6 verse 11 to 13. The angel of the Lord, and by the way, if you read this and you read about the angel of the Lord, you will see later that Gideon doesn't just speak to an angel, but that he says, I have seen God myself. It's one of the beautiful things in the Old Testament where theologians believe that when it specifically says the angel of the Lord and not just an angel, that it refers to Jesus. And therefore, you will see a change in Gideon's tone as well later where he realizes, well, I'm not just looking at a man or at a heaven being, I am looking at God himself. But that's just a side note, some theology for you. Judges 6 verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Here Gideon's reply, uh, Pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Guys, here is the beauty of God. While he is sending a prophet to the Israelites to tell them, you need to sort out your hearts and your relationship with me before anything else will happen in your life. While he's doing that, he's not waiting for them to sort out their nonsense. He sends the angel of the Lord to Gideon to raise up a new judge, a new mighty warrior. And this is just the beauty to me about God. Romans 5 verse 8 talks about it, that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, He died for us. God doesn't wait for you. God doesn't wait for me to sort out our mess before He fights for us. No matter who you are, God is already reaching out your, His hand to you. But what's the second thing we need to do? Back to the topic. The second thing, if you want to become a mighty warrior, if you want to have the ability to face the challenges in life with courage and boldness, the second thing you need to do is you need to stop believing that God has abandoned you when things in life is hard. Gideon believed that God abandoned them. He literally says that. He's like, God, have you seen the state of our nation? God, have you seen where I'm making wine? Have you seen how bad my marriage is? Have you, have you experienced the pain I'm experiencing while I'm having this illness? God, did you look at my bank balance? Why is it so bad if you actually care about me? Why is it so bad when, if you made a promise that you will protect me? Why is things, how could it get this bad? And I realize this is often what we believe, Right? When we feel like our prayers are not getting through to God, when we feel like nothing in our life is changing, the first thing that pops up into our mind is we start to believe that God has abandoned us. Or maybe that God doesn't exist. Because why are things so bad? And I think we sometimes often forget that we cause a lot of our pain ourselves. The Israelites weren't in this painful situation just because of no reason. They were there. We read at the beginning that God gave them over to the Midianites. 
You see, because God didn't just allow something to happen to them. God planned for something to happen in them through what was happening to them. But even if painful things happen in your life, that is not your fault. We need to start seeing that God can use things in our life to draw us back to Him, to work it for our benefit. Instead of believing that God has left us, that God has abandoned us, we should be asking how He is working in and through my crisis for my good. And it's hard to see it when you're in the pain. But it's a change. If we want to be mighty warriors, if we want to face life with courage and boldness, we need to be willing to change our perspective. And instead of believing that God has abandoned us, start to see that God is working through everything for our good. Know what God's answer is? God says, go mighty warrior, I'm with you. God is literally telling him, Gideon, I did not abandon you. You abandoned me. There's a saying that goes, if you feel far from God, ask yourself who has moved. It's not him. It's not your heavenly father. It's not the one who loves you. He has proven his love for us when his son died on the cross. There's no doubt about that fact. But God says, Gideon, even though you've abandoned me, I will still use you for a rescue mission. Even if you've turned your back on God, even if you believe this morning that God has abandoned you, His plans for your life is not done. And He can still use you. He still has a plan for a rescue mission for whatever you might be facing in life. God wants you to realize that He hasn't abandoned you, but He is with you. And that is the second thing that you have to do is if you want to become a mighty warrior, you have to be able to rid your life of the lies that the enemy will be telling you that God doesn't care about you, that God doesn't love you, that God has abandoned you. God is the same God today than he was in the time of Gideon. And he will be the same God tomorrow than he is today. He doesn't abandon his children. God says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior warrior if we are willing to realize that god is with us he will help us rise up to face our challenges but we first need to see him at work in our lives and in our circumstances but let's continue reading the story judges 6 verse 14 now you will see changes from the angel of the lord the lord turned to gideon and said go in the strength you have And save Israel out of Midian's hand. And I'm not sending you? And again, he says, "Uh, pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. It is interesting, I think, often when we face a challenge and God says I want to use you I want to do something in you through the crisis we're like no 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 God just take the problem away just make it disappear like that's our preference right he's like who am I God like you're God like take it away destroy the enemy like who am I I am little I'm tiny and we do the same thing every single day when we face a crisis when we face pain 
When we need to be brave, we go to God and we say, God, sort it out for me. We often give advice to God, right? Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? God, my please win the lotto and all my financial troubles will be gone. Oh God, just take my sickness away and I will follow you all the days of my life. We often go to God and we try to bargain with him and we try to tell the king of the universe, the one who created everything the Bible says with a spoken word, we try to tell him how he's supposed to fix our problems. That's what Gideon was trying to do. He's like, listen, economically, socially, strength-wise, prominence in my community, I am not the guy for the job to bring change to the pain my people are experiencing. But he should have asked, instead of saying, God, like I'm not the right guy, you do it yourself, what he should have asked was, God, can you make me the man to do what you've called me to do? To face this challenge, to walk through the fire. That's what he should have asked. And that's what we should ask. We should be asking God to make us the, the people who can handle the problems life throw at us. Ask God to make you the parents that raise your children in a godly way. Ask God to make you a spouse that is worthy to be called a godly husband and a godly wife. Ask, ask God to give you the wisdom how to use your finances in a God-honoring way to turn it around. Instead of wanting God to just take it away, ask him to do something in you and to raise you up so that you can be a mighty warrior who can face the challenge head on. You see, the problem was Gideon couldn't see the potential that God saw in him. And I think that is something that we so often miss here in Canada as well. We don't see the potential that God has given to our children. We don't see the potential that God has given to me. Because what we do is we stare ourselves blind at our own weakness. Gideon wasn't ex completely wrong, was he? He wasn't from the right tribe. He didn't have the money. He didn't have the army. He was correct because in his own, on his own, he wasn't able to defeat the enemy. But let me tell you something today. If God says Gideon is a mighty warrior, then that means Gideon is a mighty warrior. And if God says you and I are mighty warriors, then we are mighty warriors. Not because of our strength, not because, our, because of our finances, not because of my power or my friends or the army that I command. We are mighty warriors because God says I am. Because in his strength, he says, I am sending you out. God wants you to know that he can make you a person who can handle the problems of life. He's not going to take everything that you face away from you, but you do not have to face it on your own. You do not have to charge into the storm on your own. He says, I am sending you and I am with you. And you will see when God makes that promise what that means at the end of the day as we continue through this series. But it's interesting to me, even as we talk about the persecuted church today, if you speak to people in persecuted countries, they think we are weird. We think they are weird. We're like, why would you stand for your faith when your family are killed in front of your eyes? And people in persecuted countries think, believe that that is normal. 
And they stand boldly because they believe that they serve a God who can make them the kind of people that can get through any trial. But often in the comfort of the Western world, the moment that we face a trial, we believe that God has abandoned us and we turn to something else to find help. Instead of turning to God and saying, God, help me through this. Well, let's continue reading Judges 6, verse 25 to 27. By the way, in this gap in between, if you go and read it, Gideon asked for a sign that God has given him. But then this happened. That same night, the Lord said to him, Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd. The one that's seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. The first, the fourth enemy that we have to overcome is we have to overcome the idols in our lives that we've allowed to shape our lives. You see, Gideon was taught about God. Because when the angel of the Lord appeared to him, what did he say? God, where is this God that I know that brought us out of Egypt? He knew the whole story. He knew the Torah. He knew the Old Testament. So he was raised in the way of God. But this was the problems with the Israelites. They also brought in the idols from other pagan nations. And they started to worship them together. So Baal, the Asherah Paul, they brought all of that in and started worshiping them because these people were mostly farmers. Their life revolved around agriculture. So they attached themselves to the idols of other nations that were agricultural idols. Sometimes they attached themselves to commerce idols or sex and beauty idols. But they added worship of idols to their faith in God. And we do the same thing. You might be like, Louis, I'm a Christian. I don't worship anything else. I don't have a little statue in my house or anything. I think we don't realize how often things become idols in our lives, things that we worship to a similar extent that we add on to our worship of God. Things that give us security, things that give us comfort, things that give us wealth, things that give us power, the same way the Israelites did. They used these idols because they thought they would, they would take them to a next step in life. It's money, it's friends, career, your sports, your family, your politics, maybe the economy or the knowledge that you can have by just Googling something, your lifestyle options, your sexuality, entertainment programs. We raise all of this up to a level where we basically idolize these things in life. We believe they can make our life better than we can make it on our own or with God. So God asked this of Gideon. He says, before you can be a mighty warrior, I want you to tear down one altar in your life. And I want you to build another one dedicated to me. If we want to be brave, if we want to be strong and courageous, if we want to have the ability to, with God's help, face the problems in life, we need to replace the altar to false idols in our lives with the one that's dedicated to God only. He needs to actually be at the number one seat in our lives. And that is the fourth point. God wants you to remove the idols from your life and make Him Lord, not on the Sabbath, not only on a Sunday, not for an hour in the week, not during your quiet time or during your small group time. 
every minute of the day in every area of your life. That's what he was asking of Gideon. God wants to help. God wants to raise us up as people who can face the challenges of life, but he wants us to first remove the idols from our lives. Jesus isn't the add-on. Jesus is everything. And God will not contend with idols for our heart. See, the Israelites had to confront the enemies amongst them, within them, before they could confront the enemies around them. And I don't know what enemies you're facing in life. I don't know what pain you're going through, what suffering, what things you just wish God would take away in a moment today. But I want to tell you, I believe that God can make you the person who will get through this for the better. If you're willing to turn to Jesus with repentance, not just with regret, but the true repentance. If you're willing to see him at work in your life and stop believing that your God who loves you has abandoned you. When you're willing to ask him to make you a kind of person who can get through it. And when you remove anything and everything that still holds power over your life. Let's pray. Jesus, it's so easy for us to allow enemies within us to keep us captive. So easy to believe lies that you don't care about us, that you don't love us, that you have abandoned us. But I thank you, God, that I do not only have your word to fall back on, but that I have seen your faithfulness from generation to generation. That we have seen the faithfulness of a God who is with us. A God who strengthens us. A God who lifts us up to be people that can make it through whatever life and our enemy throws at us. I pray for each and every person here today, God, that's sitting here in a moment that they feel will never pass. A moment like that of the Israelites where they feel like everything has been taken away from them, where they feel so captive, they don't know what way is out. I pray, God, that you will raise them up to be mighty warriors. That you will show them what enemies they have to overcome within themselves. And that with Jesus at our side, that we will walk out with strength and courage and boldness facing whatever life throws our way. Thank you that you are enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.